You know that song, I Can't Get No Satisfaction? That's an old song, right? But it's been years later and people still don't get satisfaction. People are, are unhappy. People are unfulfilled. People are unsatisfied. I think Christmas seasons bring discontent. Because I think it's during the Christmas season that we start recognizing like, oh, I wish I could have that. Or I would love to buy my kids that, but we just can't afford that right now. And it makes you feel bad. It makes you feel discontent. It makes you feel like if I had a little bit more money, I'd be happier. If I could just do a little bit more here and there, then life would be good. Christmas can actually be a downer to people because it's easy to focus on what you can't pull off rather than what you can. And the commercials don't help. The commercials make you feel like if you could drive this car, then you'd be happier. If you could get this, if you could get that. Commercials geared toward children. You know, you get these toys and these toys, oh, you're going to be happier. But you know, when a kid gets a toy, it's never going to be like the commercial made it out to be. It's never as fun as what the commercial makes it out to be. And kids can have fun with toys, but that's what commercials do. And they make you think that's how you find happiness, the purchase of happiness. And it, it doesn't work that way. So what is the secret of a satisfying life? If you look at Philippians 4 and you know it's 11 or 12, it says, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. To be content in any and every situation. What is contentment? Well, we know contentment is not apathy or laziness. That's not what it means. Some people, <clears throat> they talk about contentment like, like they could better their life, but they're just lazy at getting things better. So they use, well, I'm, I'm content. That's not what God is saying is good. That's not what it means. That's actually not a Christian attitude. A Christian attitude is to do the best you can. A Christian attitude is to improve your life. A Christian attitude is to have goals. But contentment, as you can see in this verse, is independent of the circumstances. I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. So, what it's saying is contentment is this. I'm learning to be content in good times and bad times, in happy and sad. I'm learning to be content no matter what the situation I'm in. But it's not saying I'm content because I don't try. It's, it's not because I've lowered the bar so low in my life, and I said, and I'm going to be happy with that. No, that's not contentment. That's just being unwise. There are so many verses in the Bible that teach us to have big goals and to go for big things and to seek more. But it says you're not going to find happiness in things. But the more you achieve, do you know what achievements do? If you're a follower of God and you're in tune with God, what achievements do is it opens up avenues for you, ultimately to make an impact and influence in this world. That's what your real, your goal isn't to, it's not just for yourself. It gives you an influence. What uh, coaching at Maricosta has done for me, it's gotten me an influence into parents that aren't even thinking about God because the coach is there and because the team's successful. I'll tell you why. If a team wasn't successful, they, they, the parents might not respect me. 
because people respect you by what you do. So let's say I go in there, the team's unsuccessful, they don't really respect me. So it doesn't open up a door for me to influence them spiritually. But because they respect me, because they look at the team, they see how good it's doing. And now they respect me as a person because that's what they look at. And so yesterday we're at a tournament and one of the moms is sitting next to me and she brings up, we get in this conversation and we're talking about spiritual things. And it's, uh, it's a really good impact on her and I think it's going to influence her whole family spiritually. But they highly respect me because of something else I'm doing. Why? Achievements. People respect people. No one ever says, let's bring in this guest speaker. Why? Because they've been very unsuccessful at what they do. They don't do that. Who's the guest speaker that they bring in? Somebody highly successful in what they're doing. They draw that person into the business to speak to the people wherever because people respect that. And then they'll listen to whatever else they say, whether it's garbage or not. But when you're a believer in God and you've got a good message and you're achieving something, they'll listen to whatever else you say as well. And you want to have that influence. You want to be that type of person. So contentment has nothing to do with being satisfied in a situation that I could improve. No, contentment is being satisfied and happy and fulfilling in the process of where, wherever I am as I'm improving my life, as I'm going forward. How do you experience real contentment? I want to be content in life. How can I do it? Paul, when he's telling us to be content, there's some ways that we can pull that off. Number one in your notes, learn to avoid comparisons. You don't compare yourself with other people if you want to be content. Because what happens is, if I compare myself to somebody else, And somebody, there's always somebody out there that has more than you. There's always somebody out there that has greater opportunities than you have. There's always somebody out there that has fewer problems than you have. And if you compare yourself to them, you're either going to be jealous or envious. And do you think it's godly to be a jealous, envious type of person? No. Or what if you compare yourself to somebody else and you're better than them? You're probably going to be prideful. Do you think that's a godly attribute? No. Either way, you can't win, so you don't compare yourself to other people. You can look at yourself and think, what can I do better? What can I do to be the best Jimmy that I can be? But I can't compare myself with other people. Look at Philippians 4.11. It says, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. The circumstances are going to change. They constantly change. But he's content no matter what. In 2 Corinthians 4.18, it says, We do not look at what we see right now, the troubles all around us, but we look forward to the joys in heaven. In this passage, he is saying that even though I'm in prison right now, I can still be happy knowing that I'm going to heaven. But what he's not saying is, I'm unhappy here on earth, and I'll only be happy in heaven when I get there. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I'm in prison, but I can be happy right now, today, knowing that I'm going to heaven. There's a big difference. 
than thinking only when I arrive, then life is good. He says, the troubles will soon be over, but the joys to come will last forever. He was happy because he was able to look beyond the temporary, what's happening right now, and see the bigger picture. That no matter what's happening right now, when I see the bigger picture, we win. We win. So it's worth it. And life's not always fun. Life's not always happy. But I can be happy knowing the end result. The three misconceptions about happiness. One is, I must have what other people have to be happy. No. Things don't make you happy. If I'm trying to have what everybody else has to make me happy, I'll never have enough. It just won't work out. How about this one? I must be liked by everybody in order to be happy. No matter how nice you are, no matter how well you do it, somebody's going to dislike you. Think about it. If you think you can be perfect enough that everybody's going to like you, then think about Jesus. You can't be more perfect than him, and they killed him. Apparently, they didn't like him, right? So no matter what you do, no matter how much I do to try to make everybody over here like me, then maybe they'll get upset. So I'll go over here and try to make everybody here like me, and then they'll get upset. It doesn't work. No matter how many people like you, there's somebody that's going to dislike you. Notice when people run for president, nobody wins by 100%. Like, I got 100% of the votes. Everybody likes me. It's usually, what, 51% to 49%. That means half the nation didn't want you. <laughs> and you're the winner. And sometimes you have less votes and you still win because of the way we do our elections. You know, you, you know half the people don't like you, and you're the president of the United States. So, and it doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or Republican or who it is, half the people aren't going to like you. So, if you try to make everybody like you, it's a guaranteed failure. But you can do this. You can say, I'm going to try to live the type of life that God would be pleased. You can do that. Everybody can be 100% successful at saying, okay, God, I'm going to try to please you with my life. But I can't focus on pleasing people. There's too many people out there. It will never work. A third thing is we think, if I just have more, I'll be happy. Having more. Like, oh, I'll be happy when we reach a point that we can move into that town. Or I'll be happy when we reach a point that we can buy that house. Or I'll be happy. It won't make you happy. In fact, once you move there, you kind of get used to it, and that's just normal, and then you want the next thing that will make you happy. Nothing like that is lasting. When Howard Hughes was the wealthiest man in the world... A reporter came up to him and asked him, how much money does it take to make a man happy? He said, just a little bit more. He was actually very wise. He's actually being very wise. You know what he was really saying is, money doesn't make you happy. Money just makes you think, oh, I'll be happy if I can get that next thing. Then you get that and you get used to that. Oh, then it's the next thing. Having it, he knew he probably thought it was going to make him happy beforehand. But having it all, he knew it doesn't really make you happy. Because you can be super, super wealthy. And if your marriage is falling apart, you just feel like horrible. Horrible. So apparently relationships affect your happiness way more than having money. The money didn't go down. Maybe the money's going up. But the relationship's falling apart and you're dying inside. 
Why? Because money doesn't make you happy. It's not going to work. It can give you some temporary fun here and there. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 8 says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. You want to have great gain? Live a godly life and be content. Be content. And that's great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Paul is saying, I've learned that you can be happy even if all you have is food and clothing. He didn't even say shelter. I've learned that you can be happy living outside with food and clothing. Now, you might think, how can somebody be happy living outside? They have food to eat. They have clothing to wear. How can they be happy? Do you know that I spent 91 days living outside? Okay? All I had was food, and I would buy clothing, and I had a bicycle. And I was bicycling all around the country for 90 days. I camped out every day. You know what? I was fine. We never used a tent. We just camped out. We'd find a place to... Uh, uh, I, learned what, I learned a lot. Like, if I'm ever homeless, I figured out how to do it. <laughs> but, uh, and you know what? If you talk to me, those were, that was one of the best times of my life. It was a bicycle trip. We went for 90 days, bike from here to Florida, up to Niagara Falls, went into Canada, you know, just all over the country for 90 days. And uh, I lost my job. I didn't lose it. They were moving to Buffalo, New York. And check this out. We can give you severance pay, or you can move with us to Buffalo. Who's going to move to Buffalo? (laughs) Give me the severance pay. I'm going on a three-month bicycle ride. So that's what happened. And, um, and so you can, be, you can have so much fun and be so happy only with food and clothing. You know, so it, it's not about what you have. It's about enjoying what you have, enjoying the times that you have, the people that are around you. You know, possessions are temporary. We think, I own a house. No, you don't. It's loaned to you. And once you die, it's going to go to somebody else. I have this money. It's... It's just on loan. Everything's on loan. You keep it temporarily, and then you give it to somebody else. Have you noticed that I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul? Have you noticed that? There's a hearse, and it's pulling a U-Haul. Why? Because you can't take it with you. It's, it's, it's going to go to somebody else now. So we get this idea that, if anything, possessions own us. Because some of us are paying month after month. We're enslaved to the things we owe because they own us. So don't get obsessed with, possess- with your possessions. Obsession with possessions, it's not healthy. Number two, if you want to be content, if you really want to ha- be happy in life, you have to learn to adjust to change because life is full of ups and downs emotionally. In a week's time, emotionally, you're probably going to go through an up and down. Um, physically, you go through ups and downs. You're healthy, then you're sick. Mentally, you go through ups and downs. Financially, you go through ups and downs. Nothing in life is certain except for change. Change is certain. And if you can't deal with change, you're certainly going to have a miserable life because changes are happening constantly. You know, we're getting older. We're getting older all the time. That's a change. 
I can resent it. I can resist it. But I can't change it. It's going to happen. I could relish it. I could say this. When I'm single, I choose to have the best single life that I can. By the way, the bicycle ride, I was single at the time. <laughs> good, good point to, to add in. Um, so, but when you're single, enjoy that. Relish that time. Why? Because it's going to be gone before you know it. And then uh, you're married without kids. Relish that time for sure. Okay, because when the kids come, it's going to change everything. And then when you have these kids, no matter how tired you are right now with your little kids, relish that time. Because soon they're going to grow up and you're going to look back and you're going to think, oh, I miss those days. It was too fast. How do they grow up so fast? And when they're teens, relish that time. Because that's a special time. But then they're going to grow out of that. And then when you become grandparents, relish that time. And when you're retired, relish that time. See, you can enjoy every aspect of your life. But what I have found is it has nothing to do with the stage that you're in life. It has everything to do with the person. There are some people that choose to find the negative. They're single and they think, I can only be happy when I'm married. They get married and then they say, Oh, I miss the single days. Uh, 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 uh. Uh, but we'll be happy once we have kids. And then they have kids and they think, oh, kids drive you up the wall. And they just go on and on and on. And they never enjoy life. So don't start thinking, no, it's this time that I'm going through. No, it's not. It's you. It's you. You have chosen to feel negative about this time in your life instead of relish it. You can relish the time you have. You can enjoy it because it's going to change. And when it changes, you can never get it back. Never. It's, too, it's gone. You can never get it back. So relish the time that you have. How do you handle change? Does it make you moody, angry, uptight, stressed? Do you get frightened? To have contentment, you have to be flexible you have to be able to roll with the punches in a sense. Move along with the times. Change with the times. Philippians 4.12 says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. You know, things are adjusting. Sometimes you're hungry, sometimes you have plenty. You know, he's learning to be content in every situation. I like the... Berkeley translation, it says, I've learned to be independent of circumstances. That's how, they, that's how those translators worded it. Because that's what contentment is. Contentment isn't based on the circumstance. It's based on you. So I've learned contentment independent of the circumstances. No matter what the circumstance is, that's the secret to a satisfying life. You don't get joy out of things you don't get lasting joy out of people, out of possessions, out of pleasures, out of profits, out of popularity, out of prestige. You get lasting joy from within. It's a way of thinking. It's a way of seeing life. It's a way of approaching things where your happiness comes really from an intimate relationship with God. When God meets my need, 
You know that void that you have inside, that longing that makes you, you're searching for something to make you happy and, you, and nothing works? Other than God, when you fall in love with God, when you love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, when you fall in love with God, he meets, he, he fills that void. You finally have contentment. If you don't have contentment, that's the real issue, is Jesus isn't in the center of my life. When you fall in love with God, he meets that. And it does something to you where now you can be in a relationship to give rather than to get. You know what most relationships are? It's the difference between ministry and manipulation. Ministry is, I'm here to serve you. Manipulation is, you're trying to do things to get them to serve you, yourself. So I want to I minister to your needs or manipulation. I want you to minister to my needs. So I can even treat you good in order to get something back. That's still manipulation. Because we can treat people good with the goal of getting something back. Ministry is about giving. And this is why uh, I always describe it, and I think you've heard me probably say this before, but I describe it as the tick-on-dog relationship. The tick's in it for one reason. The tick's only worried about himself. He doesn't care about the needs of the dog. He just cares about himself. And the tick is there to get everything he can out of the dog. I said, but here's the problem with most relationships. There's two ticks and no dog. And that's bad. That's bad. So the only way to make a relationship work, really, is for me to allow God to fill my heart so I'm there to give, not to take. And we have two people that are giving. That can be a fantastic marriage, fantastic friendship. But if you have two people that are there to take and take and take, it's not going to be very healthy. People say, well, I'm okay under the circumstances. I think what God is saying is, get on top of those circumstances. Get on top of those circumstances. Have the best life that you can have. There's three kinds of circumstances. There's circumstances that I can control, so I do it. So I don't like what's on the television, so I pick up the remote and I change the channel. That's some circumstances. I'm hungry, so I go make myself a sandwich to eat. There are circumstances that I'm in control of. And if I'm going to enjoy life, I've got to do those things. There are circumstances that uh, you're in control of that you don't do. For example, you might say, I want to get stronger. I want to get stronger. It doesn't matter how much you want to get stronger. You can pray that God adds on the muscle mass. You know, you can eat more protein. You can do everything you can think of. But if you don't get out there and do the exercise, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Why is that? Because it's a circumstance that you're in control over. And all the praying in the whole world is not going to do a thing. Because sometimes God says, get off your behind and do something. We see this when the Israelites were at the Red Sea. There's mountains on both sides. They can't go that way. The, the Egyptians are coming in. They're going to be killed. And what they started doing is praying to God, which sounds good. I mean, that's the time to pray, I would think. But I, would, I think God's response is funny when they're praying to God. God says, 
Stop praying and get across the Red Sea. Do you ever know that God sometimes tells you, stop praying? Well, God, I thought you said pray about everything. I did, but you need to stop praying and do something. You know, God, you know, help me to start exercising every day. And you pray it, you know, pray it every day, every day. And finally God says, stop praying. Do it. Do it. So there are some things that there are some circumstances that I have control over that I just don't do. And I can't blame God, and I can't say, well, I'm just content how things are. No, 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 you're lazy. That's not contentment. Contentment doesn't mean that. Contentment doesn't mean that I have a chance to better my education for my future, and it's going to be better for me. Contentment doesn't mean, oh, I'm just satisfied how it is. No, that could be laziness. That could be laziness. You know, you might be in a situation where you can excel in your job and don't have to have that class. And you're saying, I don't think it's necessary because the way my job works, I can excel. That's different. You know, but what I'm saying is a lot of people use contentment as an excuse for not being the best you that you can be. You know, so you don't want to do that. To be the best you that you can be requires you not to be lazy sometimes. And don't say, oh, I'm just content. Because I know that that's not God's will. God's will is for you to be the best you that you can be. Then there's things that I cannot control. And that's what contentment is about. Contentment has nothing to do with things I could do to make things better. Okay? That's just failure on my part for not doing it. Contentment is... I'm in a situation, and there's absolutely nothing I can do. Paul was in prison, not by choice. And there was nothing he could do to get out. He could try to influence. He could do his part. I'm going to try to influence the Roman guards. to Maybe they'll say a good word for me. I'm going to try to influence. But ultimately... The final decision had nothing to do with his choice. So that's what he's talking about. That's what contentment is. Is the things that I have no control over, there's nothing I can do to change it, make it better, where then I'm going to be content with what it is, and I'm going to enjoy life. There's nothing I can do about it. You apply for a job, two people. One person applies for a job, and they're not going to be happy unless they get it. And they're feeling miserable and stressed out and hoping that they get it. And then they finally get around to the answer, and they, the answer is no. And that whole time, they didn't enjoy life. Then somebody else applies for a job, and they're going to be content. I've done everything. I went to the interview on time. I did everything I could do to try to get this job. And this is a job I really desperately need and want. But... It's out of my hands. I know I did my part. It's out of my hands. So I'm going to enjoy life. And me and my wife are going to go home and we're going to watch a movie together and have fun, eat some popcorn. And we're going to, you know, I'm not going to be so stressed out that I, oh, I can't enjoy anything right now. I can't eat right now. And, and I'm going to have, enjoy life. And then he gets the answer, no. They said, well, I guess I have to look somewhere else. Let's keep trying. That's what contentment is. 
Contentment is when it's out of your hand and you still enjoy life. That's what God is, that's what Paul is talking about. If you want to enjoy life, you have to have contentment. Sometimes it's people that you have to adjust to. Romans 12, 18 says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. It's saying, you do your part to get along with them. But still, you can't choose what they do. You say, well, I've done this, I've done that, I've done everything to try to make them like me. And you're so unhappy because they haven't responded. Contentment is this. I've done everything I can to make them, to try to make this relationship good. And that's all I can do. If they don't like me, that's on them. But I'm not going to let their feelings about me ruin my life. Some people are trying to please their parents. We're adults. There are some adults in this room, they're trying to please your parents. Sometimes your parents are already dead, and you're still trying to please them. Let me tell you this. If they're not pleased with you by now, they're probably not ever going to be pleased with you. So quit trying to please them, okay? Please God. Please your heavenly Father. Say, God, okay, that's a lost cause. I'm just going to make sure that you're happy with me, God. I'm going to try to obey you and make life great that way. One of the key things for contentment that I believe is humor <clears throat> is when you have the ability to laugh at yourself. Because sometimes we're so prideful or we feel so ashamed that we want to hide things. When you can come out and just laugh at yourself and, you know, it, it really is a good, that's a good character uh, quality to have. Uh, it, it really is a part of, of healthy living. Let me put it this way. Most people, most people I know, and I'm talking about Christians, most people are way too serious about themselves and not serious enough about God. That's got to change. That's got to change. I just need to, you know, you know, just let it go and be serious about God. Number three, Learn to draw on God's power because what he's going to say is when he relies on God, what he's meaning by that is I'm not content because I've got this inner strength because I'm such a great guy. Don't you wish you were like me, that you could be in prison and have happiness at the same time? Because look at me. No, his whole point is the opposite of that. Look what he says. I can do everything through him who gives me strength, through Christ who gives me strength. He's saying, I want you to know how I do it. They're saying, but Paul, how can you still be happy when you're in prison? He's not happy about being in prison. Obviously, he's not happy about that. But how can you still be happy and you're in prison? He gives me the strength. And that I know so many people that when they relied on a power greater than themselves, they walked away from alcoholism, something that nothing else worked. I know people that have been on crack cocaine, which they say is the most addictive, that when they relied on a power greater than themselves, they walked away from crack cocaine. We have people in our church that left these things. You know, that same power is available for me and you 
to say, you know what? My living situation isn't very happy right now, but with the power greater than myself, I can enjoy life even here. I don't like living in this apartment I'm in. I want something better. I just don't like it. It's old. And, but with God's strength, come on, I can be happy here. Okay, when I say happy here, I'm not saying that you say give up your goal. Your goal should be to move to a place that you like. I'm going to have a goal. I want to do this and this and this and save money here and there and be able to eventually get there. But in the meanwhile, I'm going to have fun where I am, exactly where I am. I'm going to be content. But you can't get there without a power greater than yourself. You have to rely on God. You might have money in the stock market, and it goes crashing down. Right now, it's doing the opposite of that, right? It's been amazing. But it goes crashing down. That's out of your control sometimes. You can't always predict what's going to happen, you know? But contentment says, you know, I can't do anything to change that. I can't do anything to change that. I can be miserable, or I can just say, I'm going to keep going forward and have a good life and... You know, maybe I lost my retirement, but I'm going to keep going forward. How do you know if you're not relying on God's power? You're probably stressed out and tired about it all the time. It's on your mind all the time. How do you know that you're trusting God's power? You've said, God, I don't know what to do with this. There's nothing I can do, God. I'm just asking you to take care of it. And then you don't think about it. You don't think about it. You just move on because you know there's nothing you can do. I can be worried, stressed out, or I can just let it go. But it's a choice. And you do have the ability to let it go because we have a power great enough to give you the strength. With God's power, you can let it go. Philippians 4.13 says, There is nothing I cannot master with the help of one who gives me strength. So it's talking about you can master your time, your mouth, your temper, a bad habit. It doesn't matter what it is. With God's power, when you rely on a power greater than yourself, when you're relying on Jesus Christ, he will give you the strength to, to change, to make the changes in your life that you need to make. Philippians 4.13 in the Amplified Bible, here's how they translated it. I'm ready for anything and equal to anything to him who infuses inner strength into me. That is, I'm self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. So if you have a problem that you're facing, he's, he's putting his confidence in God. I think confidence and contentment goes together. How can I be content in a bad situation? Only one way, because I have my confidence in him. I have enough confidence that he can take care of it. So therefore, I can enjoy life and not like what's happening. But my confidence is in him. And his power. That Greek word where it says strength, in the Greek it's the same word that we get the word dynamite from. <clears throat> and it has that type of meaning, like a, a dynamo, like uh, you know, a strong energy. So he's saying that strong energy that I get to be happy, even though prison's not fun, is from God. But it's not just something like strength, it's a strong you know, dynamite explodes, boom. You know, it's something explosive. It's something strong 
within him that gives him the power to enjoy life, even in prison. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, oh, I want to say something before I read the verse. Paul was somebody that God sometimes used. Like if somebody was sick or something, Paul would pray for them and they get well. Not all the time, you know, but God used them like this sometimes. And all the disciples tended to have this type of miracle gift as you look at their life, uh, where they would pray sometimes for somebody and they get healed. Uh, <clears throat> so God was using them in a, a mighty way. It was evidence that they were really followers of Jesus, that they really were part of, of what Jesus was about because they were able to do the same type of things. And so Paul gets sick. He gets a thorn in his flesh is how he describes it, but it's some sort of sickness that he's having. And he prays, and other people pray for him, and he never gets better. Now, isn't that odd? Here he is. God's used him to pray for this person. They get well. One time, a guy fell out of a building and died. And Paul ran down and prayed for him, and he came back to life. Okay? Pretty powerful. But his own sickness, he's praying for, and it won't go away. And here's what God says to him. He says, but God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. What he's saying here is sometimes people need a weakness in their life to keep them on track, to keep them focused on God. Because If you're like me, when things are going good, it's easy not to pray so much. But when you're going through a struggle, man, you pray every day. You're praying all the time. Like, oh, because it's on your mind. You're worried about it. So you're constantly praying. When you're sick, you're praying all the time because you want to get well. You don't like how you feel. So when you're stressed out about something, you say, God, help me with this. Help me. And Paul, God is saying, Paul, you need this. You need this. You need this weakness. So it makes you rely on me. You have to fully rely on God's grace. I can't do it without God's help. God's got to do it for me because that's what grace is. God doing something for you that you can't do for yourself. I've got to rely on you, God. I've got to rely on you. Do you know if Paul, because I would think Paul might be a mature enough Christian that he doesn't need that. But if Paul was immature enough that he needed stuff like that. We are too. We're immature sometimes. And God sometimes needs to use weaknesses in our life to get us back on track. To get us back on track. If we got everything we asked for, we'd be the most spoiled people in the world. Do you give your children everything they ask for? Absolutely not. Right? Because you don't want to ruin them. Don't little kids, what's the first word that they, they, they learn how to say? Mom... They learn how to say dad. They learn how to say no. Why? Because that's the word they hear the most. No, 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 don't do that. No, 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 don't go. You know, it's, it's like they hear that more than they hear their name. They're going to learn their name way after that. But they, you know. Uh, God loves you so much. He's allowing you to go through tough times so that you can put your faith in him. So that you can say, God, I need you. I need you in my life. 
Number four, learn to trust God to meet my needs. That's the secret of satisfaction. You know, I've got to trust God to meet my needs. Look at Philippians 4.19. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And it says all your needs. God will meet all my needs according to his riches. When you buy an insurance policy, you probably read it over to make sure it, okay, it covers this, it covers this, it covers this. Okay, it's got all that covered. And then you think what? That's, I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to worry about those things. They're covered. The Bible is the same way. It's like reading your policy. Okay, death is covered. I'm going to heaven if I die. You know what I'm saying? You kind of find out what's covered, and then you can say, I don't have to worry about that. You might have to worry about the pain of death, but you don't have to worry about afterlife. You know, but... You know, you read the Bible, and there's all kinds of promises there for you that you can say, I don't need to worry about this. Look at Matthew 6, 31 through 33. So do not start worrying. Where will my food come from or my drink or my clothes? Your heavenly Father knows you need all these things. Instead, be concerned about God's kingdom, and he will provide you with all these other things. <clears throat> He's saying put God first. Put him in the center. That's where you want your focus to be. Everything else will take care of itself. But make sure, number one, that you put God first. Never get so busy in life that you don't have time for God. Never get that busy, because then you're too busy. <clears throat> the real reason for unhappiness, unfulfillment, being unsatisfied, is that Christ isn't in the center of my life. I don't really love him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I've not allowed him to be in the place he needs to be, so I don't feel satisfied so I run from relationship to relationship to relationship trying to find happiness. That doesn't work. I run from job, this job, to that job, to that job, trying to find happiness. Doesn't work. I run from this hobby to that hobby to that hobby to this therapy to that book to this seminar looking for that key that's going to make me happy. None of them work because you have a void inside you that can only be filled by God. It's only God that's going to fill it. That's why I have to build that relationship. I want to love God. I want to know God in a deep way. That's the only thing that's going to fill that emptiness in your heart. It's the only thing that's going to work. Discontentment just means <clears throat> he's not in the center of my life. But he says, I've come that you might have life abundantly. That's what Jesus said. I've come that you might have life abundantly. That's why he came. So if I'm not having an abundant life, it's because he's not in the center of my life. I'm allowing other things to be on the throne of my life, to be number one. You want to love your husband or wife, but they can't be more important than God. You want to love your kids, but they can't be more important than God. I want you to, I hope you love your job, but it can't be more important than God. So it's about priorities, making sure that God's on the throne. He's the only thing that, that, that's the only way that you're going to really have the happiness that you need in life. So which of these four lessons do you feel like you need to learn? Maybe you've been trying to compare yourself with other people, and you say, why can't I have their house? Why can't I have this? Why can't I have that? And when you're comparing, it makes you jealous and envious, or like I said, it makes you prideful. Because if you have something more than them, 
That can make you prideful. Maybe it's comparing that has taken away your happiness. Because you're looking at what other people have instead of what you have. For Americans, when the world hears this type of stuff, they can't believe it. Like when Americans aren't happy with what they have. I was talking to this lady this week from Albania, and she said, when people look at a person that's wealthy, and they say, like, they kind of despise them for their wealth, because they have so much, and they're not doing enough to help other people. She said, that's what everybody in Albania that I know thinks about every American, because you guys have so much, and we have so little. And we think... They have so much that they don't care about anybody else but themselves because we're suffering and nobody cares about us. That's what they think about Americans. You might be poor, sort of, in America, but you're not poor in the world. You're probably in the top 10% of the world. So we need to be careful about how foolish we're going to stand before God thinking that we had it so tough. And we did not have it tough, not like the world does. Maybe there's a situation that's left you unsatisfied, like your marriage or not being married or your job or your health or something else. God is saying, learn to be content in any and every situation. No marriage is going to be perfect, but you can love that person and enjoy what you have. Contentment doesn't mean that you don't try to better your situation. Contentment means that when there's a situation out of your control, you give it to God. Contentment doesn't mean I'm going through a tough time, so I psych myself up to act like I'm happy. And I put a smile on, so I'm acting. No, that's just being silly, right? Yeah. Contentment means you give it to God. God, I don't like this. There's nothing I can do, so I'm giving it to you, God, and I'm going to try to enjoy life. I'm just going to keep going forward. I'll keep doing what I can but I'm going to keep going forward. To have that contentment, you have to draw on God's power. You have to. I don't think there's any way that we could do what Paul was doing without really relying on God's power. God, I can't do that. I can't. I know I can't. I, I can't be in prison for as long as he was in prison and everything and say, oh, I'm happy. I can't without God, without God in my life without me relying on his power, without me having faith that he's going to work it for the good, without me knowing that I can be joyous because this is temporary, but I'm going to spend eternity with you. Without God, I would just lose hope and just be miserable and give up. But with God, you can go through anything. People go through prison camp, and their faith in God gets them through it. It's amazing what God can do when you trust him. Let's pray. Lord, we want to be content in life so that we can enjoy life. So, Lord, we're making a commitment not to compare ourselves to others, but to be the best person that I can be the way you've made me. Lord, I'm making a commitment to adjust to the changes in life because life is constantly changing, and I'm choosing to relish every change. And, Lord, I need your power to help me. I need your power. I can't do it without you. So I, I'm relying on your strength to help me through the hard times so I can still be happy, even in hard times. And Lord, I'm trusting you to meet my needs. 
There are so many things out of my control, so I'm just trusting you. You can do it. It's in Jesus' name that I'm making this commitment. Amen.